Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, and also on our other channel, the best trials in true crime, and this is a uh, pretty big court hearing this morning, which is why we are coming to you live, and uh, our best guest today of course, is Jeremy Mutz. Jeremy is a former prosecutor in Tallahassee and now has his own law firm in Chipley, Florida, uh, in the panhandle. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Appreciate it. And I just realized, I think I had the start time, everyone, for uh, 8.45, so apologies, but we're starting at uh, 8.50 here, and I forgot to change that. Uh, I see Laura Waldy listening at work. Make sure you get no work done. I love that. Um, J Squared would be the name of the band if Joel and Jeremy start one. J Squared. I love that. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, I sent you, uh, we got a little um, peek into what might be happening today. Among several things, um, Shanna Gardner, it looks like, filed a motion for bond. Um, it sounds like she wants out of jail. What does that mean in layman's terms? Well, in a first-degree murder case, a defendant is ordinarily not entitled to bond. Uh, Florida courts look at that under a, a very high standard. The facts of the case must present proof of guilt that is evident or the presumption is great. So it's archaic language, but in simple terms, it has to mean that the prosecution must be able to show there's no question the defendant committed these particular crimes. And by their motion, they're trying to say, well, the court, even if they find that to be true, the court still has discretion to grant bond. And so they're asking the court to grant bond. Um, they'll probably also argue that the evidence doesn't rise to that burden because under Florida precedent, courts have found that in this question, the state actually has to bring more evidence than beyond a reasonable doubt in order to detain somebody from the time that they're arrested, indicted, then all the way to trial. And in most cases in Florida, that's what happens in a murder case. In a rare occasion, there might be bond. I think the Henry Segura case, uh, or excuse me, the, the Thrash case in Tallahassee, Dr. Thrash was given bond, but it's very rare. Um, so they're really just kind of throwing themselves at the discretion of the court to say, well, even if you find this evidence is there. My client will appear in court. You can require a very high amount of bond. She's not going to be a flat risk. And, you know, please give us bond. And um, she has the money. Her family is incredibly wealthy. From what I understand, they live out in Utah. Uh, but this is also potentially a death sentence case, a uh, death penalty case. So uh, is that going to impede? Um, I, I, what do you put the odds at? Uh, percentage-wise of her actually getting bond today? It's got to be really low, right? Maybe one in 10. Um, yeah. I'd, say, uh, I'd say pretty low. Uh, and the death penalty is one part of it. Her her great uh, means to flee, uh, probably more so than even the Adelsons had in terms of going to Vietnam and so forth. Um, I think her parents had some sort of business, almost like Hobby Lobby, the equivalent of that in, in Utah. So they, yeah. they were pretty successful. Um, so the court would look whether she's a flight risk and things like that. The fact that most of her ties are in another state 
you know, um, it's different if like if she was running a business locally and had all of her ties locally, you could say there's a little bit uh, more assurance the court would have that she's not going to flee the area. Uh, but I think the court would look at it. Somebody has nothing to lose in this situation. Um, they've they are facing the death penalty. And I think the state attorney, a very wise state attorney, Melissa Nelson, I think. Mm. Well, uh, we've got a live courtroom shot already. Uh, you can see it right there. Uh, we're going to uh, go to that as the minute proceedings start. True Lifestyles, by the way. What I love about our community is everyone helps each other out. And True Lifestyles is in Jacksonville and has been uh, letting me know uh, what time the hearings are starting and, and what's going on behind the scenes. She's here and she says she's not sure if Jose Baez it's going to be in court today because Pat Karate is also here for Shanna, another uh, defense counselor. So we'll see if uh, the high profile Jose Baez does, in fact, show up. Uh, Wesley John Holmes joining us from uh, Tokyo. And uh, we've got Australia in the house. I see already you see a bailiff there. Um, Ireland is here as well. Uh, I love these early lives because we see the rest of the world, Jeremy. But um, what was interesting prior to this is that we saw Shanna Gardner and her uh, husband, her new husband, Mario Fernandez Saldana, appear jointly. But uh, that's not going to be the case today. Uh, does it seem like these cases um, are... It was unclear if they were going to be severed or not, but it appears that they're going to be completely two separate cases here, right? That's what it's looking like. And I, and I think there would be a, a really complex trial if they had to try them together. And, you know, certainly conflict of interest between the two. Um, you know, so it's looking to me like it's heading to two separate trials. And uh, Mish brings up a good point. She already left Florida and, and was arrested in Washington state. Uh, so that's not going to help her case with Bond either. The fact that she's already left the state of Florida. Is that right? That would be a concern. I don't really think the evidence shows that she fled there, um, but they did have to extradite her back. And I think a judge looking at this would, again, look at the ties to the local community um, as such that she has family out there you know if you're in washington if you're in seattle that's just one flight away to uh another country and uh i think that would give the court some pause but i, I don't so, know that there's really any evidence to say that she she fled uh, okay so just to recap uh this couple shanna gardner and mario fernandez saldana were arrested um for um allegedly arranging the murder of this Microsoft executive, her ex-husband, Jared Bridegan. Um, last time, like I said, they appeared in court together. They are both charged with murder and each facing potential death sentences if convicted of murder and conspiracy uh, in Jared Bridegan's death. Um, they were previously married and shared custody of two children, and this is where it's so much like the uh, Markel Adelson's here, Jeremy, is it's, it was a very bitter custody battle, um, fighting over the children. Jared Brodigan had since been remarried with two new children, but it was the fight over the older children 
that appears to be the motive for this murder. Um, but we see it again, and we see it not far from Tallahassee, just across uh, the top of the state there, another murder for hire. It's crazy. Well, it, it is, and the, and the financial aspect of it as well are, is a part of it. Um, even with the wealth that uh, is, is had by the, uh, the mother in this case, uh, I think there are still issues where she wanted uh, Mr. Bridegan to pay for different things. And he, you know, he is wanting to try to make it fair where each side would uh, pay for things and each side would get half the home. And I think, so I think the financial part of it, just like in, in Markel, that was also an aggravating and an irritant to her. Um, but I think it's one of the reasons these cases are so compelling because it's frightening. We all know people that have nasty divorces, but somehow people manage to stay within the lines of right and wrong. They don't hire hitman, but this one here, obviously it went across that line. And it's like otherwise ordinarily normal people would, why would they cross that line and commit murder? And I, and I think it's a, a combination of, of factors, you know, child custody, money, your sense of maybe sense of arrogance and entitlement and would, would lead an otherwise normal person across that line. Um, the whole world is here, meaning in the chat. And by the way, you're not going to get this on other channels where you've got a lawyer uh, like Jeremy giving you analysis in real time of what's going on in court. And you're not going to get this either. So we've got the best, I would say best guest, better community, Laura Waldy, gifting five Surviving the Survivor memberships. We've got North Georgia in the house. And uh, then you've got Romania. This is why I love these early lives. Uh, people from all over the place uh, are here. Um, True Lifestyles is saying that Mario Saldana Fernandez's attorney is there and looking very stressed out, uh, which isn't surprising because his client has his back against the wall. The other interesting piece of this case um, I believe those are the Bridegans, I believe. Um, That's uh, Mr. Bridegan's uh, second wife, Kirsten. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, in court, and um, I know that True Lifestyle, Susan Harmon, is in touch with them. But, Jeremy, what's interesting about this is um, Henry Tennant is the uh, admitted trigger man in this the the guy who was at one point the uh husband's tenant his name is henry tenon uh he pleaded guilty uh to pulling the trigger that night and has agreed to testify at least against uh mario fernandez saldana how big a deal is that i think it's monumental and, and i think even despite the fact that you have somebody that pulled the trigger and did a, a despicable thing he will have a lot of credibility with the jury I mean, you look at multiple cases where that's the case, like the, the Chillingworth case, the murder of the judge in 1955 in Palm County. You had really bad people testify, but they were believable. And I, and I expect that would be the same here. That will, I think, probably cement uh, this case uh, in the minds of, of the jury that actually hears the case against Ms. Gardner and Mr. Fernandez. Uh, look at this. Big thanks to McSpunky for gifting 16 memberships this morning. I love it. And then we've got Cornwall in the UK uh, here. Cornish Lass. I love that. Um, Jeremy, um, 
this is just so, I mean, this is just so similar because you've got in uh, the Adelson case, you've got Luis Rivera who uh, pleaded guilty. He cut a deal and then testified. And this is what, exactly what we're seeing here. Um, in your opinion, how are these cases just on a broad basis? How are they similar, but how are they different too? Well, very similar in the sense that it, it touches on that child custody issue that anybody with children, anybody who's been through a divorce can relate to that. I think there's dynamic, a dynamic of, of young, attractive people with a lot of wealth. I think that brings an interest to it. Same as with Markel. Um, I think the fact that you have hitmen being hired and just sort of that arrogance to think, well, I'm going to solve the problem because I can afford to do this. I know nefarious people that can do this. So that, that part is similar. Uh, Mr. Fernandez apparently had those kind of contacts. Where it's different is just the speed at which this thing unraveled and the state not only went after the lower level people that pulled the, the trigger physically, the state has gone quickly and speedily without delay against the people who really pulled the trigger in this case, which is Ms. Gardner and Mr. Fernandez. They're the ones that really pulled the trigger. They built the gun and they pulled that trigger back uh, in this case. So hats off to the state attorney's office and local law enforcement that really worked hard, that went right for the people who are ultimately responsible, you know, in Tallahassee, I think a lot of interest in Markel happened because it seemed like the ones that actually physically did the crime were held accountable, but the ones that actually set it in motion and were responsible for it happening sort of eluded justice for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people speculate about why that happened. And that's I think, part of the interest in it. So hats off to the local authorities in this case that weren't, uh, deterred from going forward. Uh, and we see today that they've they've charged and they're going forward uh, seeking the death penalty even. Uh, so I think it, in some ways that gives people a little bit of more, maybe increases respect for the court system because the state's not being deterred by wealth or any other consideration in this case. They're seeking the death penalty uh, against people who would seek to hire hitmen and and gun down a father uh, with a two-year-old child in the backseat of, of the vehicle right here uh, in the community in Jacksonville. Uh, what's uh, noticeable is uh, the big person in the room is missing. That is Judge London Kite, who's presiding over this case, but uh, and the bailiff is just on the telephone there. So, uh yeah, I know in Tallahassee with Judge Stephen Everett and Charlie Adelson, everything went right on time here. We're about five minutes late. One of the issues that came up last time is that Saldana, because it was a joint hearing, one, like one right after the other, but Saldana was in um, prison garb, Jeremy, but Shanna Gardner was in street clothes. Uh, someone said that Jose Baez, that's a big deal for him. He always makes sure that the his client is in regular clothes. Do you think that we see Shanna Gardner in regular clothing today? Or does the judge say, no, she's got to be in her uh, in her jail jumpsuit? The judge could certainly say no because there's not a jury present. You know, an individual doesn't have a right to uh, dictate their appearance when they're transported for a hearing. But it's, it's within the discretion of the court. And I can certainly understand why if I'm representing somebody and if I'm a high-level attorney like that, I'm going to go the extra mile because it's publicity. 
this this case is not going to be tried in a vacuum in his mind. This is a, also tried in the court of public opinion. And so that's part of her image. So if I'm in his shoes, I would certainly like to not have her appear uh, just in jail garb like, you know, Donald Adelson or Charlie Adelson are brought in in jail garb. They're, you know, they're not looking their best. And that's part of the image you want to put out there leading up to a trial. Uh, but the court certainly has the discretion to say no. And, and the same is true as like when they're in shackles and so forth, they can't be brought into the courtroom in shackles. It would prejudice their right to a fair trial uh, to show this person they're in jail garb, they're shackled up. It kind of makes the jury think, well, is this person really, really dangerous? So we don't do that in a trial, uh, but there's no jury here. So, you know, the court doesn't have to give them that kind of leeway. Got it. That's interesting. Uh, Annie Kay here. Um, is there any progress in getting the defendants to turn on one another? Uh, the, the broader question is, Jeremy, do you think that there's an effort um, for, you know, one, one attorney's client to try to get the other client or their client to turn on the other client? You think that we're going to see one of them flip here? I mean, that's that's certainly a possibility. You know, if you're an attorney, you're going to try to you may try to advocate that to your client. The client may say no to that, you know, if, if there's still feelings of love and affection between the husband and wife, the client may veto that. But if you're an attorney, you may want to explore that. In this case, I don't know that the state would at all be interested in that. One of the advantages that this prosecution has over Markel is by charging all of the people at the onset of the case, they flip the right person. So they're not they're not messing around trying um, the shooter and then trying to get one of the spouses to flip on each other. They went after the lower level person. They actually held the gun and they got him to flip on the ones that paid him and planned. And I think if Markel, if they had charged everybody in the beginning, they would have got Katie to flip and they wouldn't have had to have, um, you know, almost a decade pass where they're trying to get Katie to, to flip and they're, they're having to rely on, Lewis Rivera to testify and all those things. So in this case, I think it's an advantage and a difference that they've done it this way. And, and Jeremy, um, someone's asking what kind of hearing this is. Uh, we do know that there, um, Shannon Gardner is going to be asking for bond, but it's also a case hearing. There hasn't been a trial date set. Uh, she was just arrested um, in August. I believe uh, the husband, Mario Saldana, was arrested in March, but she was just arrested this past August. Um, what do you think we'll see today besides besides uh, discussion on this bond? Uh, any chance at all of a trial date being set? That's certainly possible. Um, they certainly may use this uh, court appearance to take care of that business as well. Um, you know, the judge could certainly just limit it to the, the bond hearing. Sometimes in Florida, this is called an Arthur hearing. There's a Supreme Court case that talks about the standard at, at which uh, one may be held um, in pre-trial detention up to trial. And, and so oftentimes you call this an Arthur hearing. You'll call it a, you'll hear it be called a bond hearing. And those those really mean the same thing. Uh, but the court may just go ahead and say, do some housekeeping, say, you know, do we need to set a trial date? Do we need to set another a case management date or a status conference hearing, depending on what they call it locally. And uh, that way they make efficient use of the time. Each judge is a little different with that. Some judges really want to be efficient. Others 
are more like, well, we're here for one specific thing. We'll address that. And, and that's it. Uh, KPIC and a few others are, are just tuning in and they're wondering what this is about. Daily backup coming to us from Western Australia. Love this channel. Love you back. Um, someone's asking if Shanna is paying for Mario's lawyer. Not that I'm aware of, but um, True Lifestyles would know the answer to that. But just to sort of back up uh, here, um, Shanna Gardner is charged along with her husband, Mario Fernandez Saldana, who she's now estranged from of conspiring to murder her ex-husband named Jared Bridegan. Her ex-husband was a Microsoft executive. Um, they had two children together. He was driving back, um, I think, from dropping them off, very similar to the Dan Markell case, and uh, there was something blocking the roadway. Here, here comes Judge London Kite. And, uh, the Honorable London Kite presiding. There you go. Well, we can talk because they can't hear us, but we're going to stop in a minute. So he was uh, he was murdered and it turned out a guy named Henry Tenen uh, was arrested. He was a former tenant of uh, the defendant, Mario Saldana, and he admitted to shooting um, Jared Bridegan being paid to do that. And now the hitman is going to turn on the husband, Mario Saldana. Um, Good morning, Your Honor. Russell. This is a different defendant, right, Jeremy? Time. This is not... You know, we're here for a pre-hearing. He's not violations of part of this case that I'm aware of. Not... Florida. Yeah, so... Uh, time uh, ...to research into the timeline of this case to determine... There might be a few different defendants. Let's just uh, take a quick listen uh, here. ...circumstances of the violation of probation based on how old it is and when he yeah. letters to the court um, requesting for disposition of the violations of probation. So defense is asking for approximately a two-week pre-trial date or pre-hearing date. Well, that's day-to-day -day life in the in the federal or in a circuit court. You deal you deal with a little bit of everything. But yeah, um, South Africa's in the house. I just saw um, Jeremy. What about the courtroom? This is a beautiful courtroom. Do they? Are it is, and it, it it used to be the federal courthouse in Jacksonville. Then this. Defense is asking for two weeks, Your Honor. Took it over. Uh, someone made this. Someone made this comment that Shanna has changed. Yeah, she's now a six foot two African American male. Um, no, that's not her. Um, this is obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously uh, a different uh, defendant, a different case. So they're obviously going through a, a litany here. Uh, again, this was supposed to start at nine a.m. Uh, one of the things as we uh, await Shanna Gardner's appearance here, and hopefully it will be sooner than later, is it did take um, a few months. They did have to extradite Shanna Gardner from Washington State uh, back to Florida. Can we come back on the 22nd? What is that process like, Jeremy? Did she have to waive her right? Did she have to allow them to extradite her? How, how did all that play out? My understanding is that she did ultimately waive extradition, but um, short short ver explanation of that is if, if you're held in another state, you're subject to their territorial jurisdiction, and it's a legacy of the 13 original colonies being original independent states. Um, in order to come before the jurisdiction of another state's court, there's an application the state has to make. And ultimately it goes 
to a hearing in the state where the person is being held in custody. The governor actually signs paperwork, and if the person waives that paperwork, goes through, and they're allowed to be transported to the other state that has the charge, if they fight it, then they have to have a hearing in the state where they're being held to determine if there's probable cause. So it's uh, in many instances, people waive and they're brought back, but it still takes some time. Um, if they fight it, then there has to be those hearings and the governor has to issue a warrant and uh, they're transported back. Or March 4th, Your Honor. And here's another defendant who is in a wheelchair, uh, speaking of shackles, shackled up. Um, he's in a medical wheelchair. You can see the MED on the back. So we're seeing some other defendants. He's already done. He was in and out in record time. Um, Mish Cavernos, great time for the triple Qs for Jeremy Mutz, who knows a lot about how the courts work in North Florida. Uh, she wants to know, and from South Africa, Cape Town, how does spousal privilege work if they are legally still married? What happens there? Well, in Florida, it's a little different. We don't have the traditional spousal privilege in the in other states. And in traditionally, one spouse could not be forced to testify against another. And you see that like in the Agatha Christie uh, book, um, Witness for the Prosecution, where that's a, an issue. In Florida, there's just a privilege that deals with communications with the expectation of confidentiality. So if I if I talk to my spouse expecting confidentiality about that particular subject, there can be a privilege. Um, but it's not as broad as the traditional, you know, prohibition of compelling a spouse to testify against the other spouse that exists in other jurisdictions. So it uh, may still be an issue in this case, but probably not a very significant one. Uh, Queen Olive here with a personal note. Shanna was arrested in the next town over from me in Washington State, 10 to 15 minutes away. She was arrested in West Richland. I live in Richland in West Richland is uh, an affluent area because I think her house was a million dollar plus home uh, in Washington. Megan says, uh, happened a mile from my house, uh, vested in this witch. <laughs> There's the photos. <laughs> There's Jared Bride again, Shanna uh, on the right, and then Shanna bottom left with her attorney, uh, Jose Baez. And COE, let me know what's going on. Did we just lose that uh, video? I think it's still there. Uh, just putting up some photos here. Um, trying to well, figure out what. It, go ahead, Jeremy. It's it's an interesting little window into what happens in court because on TV and movies we think there's maybe one big case and that's all the court deals with. But here's, you know, people who violated probation, other routine matters that are uh, being taken care of, and uh, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain for people. Yeah. And I do see uh, the courtroom. We'll go back to it in a minute. I'm not sure what uh, COE is up to, but I know she's put some photos up. Um, Megan says, happened a mile from my house. Uh, there you go. That's crazy. And there you see uh, Shanna Gardner with Mario uh, Fernandez Saldana. That's her new husband. She met him reportedly at a CrossFit gym. Shanna Gardner is a uh, Physically very imposing and fit woman. You can see she's substantially taller than uh, her husband there. 
a big strong woman. There's there's video of her arrest, body cam video of her arrest, and um, she just kind of walks out. She's d- not overly phased by it. Um, one of the things that happened here too, uh, we're back to video of uh, the court. Let's keep that up, guys, just so. I can keep an eye on it here, but that's another defendant with uh, the, uh, that week uh, we have. Could we have Thursday, the 22nd, your honor? Yes. And would it be possible to waive our client's appearance at that date? Yes. Okay. February 22nd, Thank you, your honor. You. And that's all I have. May I be excused? Yes. Thank you, judge. Jeremy, it's interesting because everyone knows uh, that everyone here is tuning in for Shanna Gardner. Is there a reason that they're uh, kind of holding off on her a little bit? Well, I think <laughs> the court may just want to get through some of the shorter matters first. Hmm. Um, different judges would have different thoughts about this. Some may say, let's just take care of the big thing and get the media out of here and get everybody out of here and let's just get on with normal business some judges have the idea let's take care of the shorter stuff first and then we'll another clerk on behalf of david markham uh he is in jail i will be waiving his appearance today your honor he was brought over however in speaking with the bailiffs they were concerned for his medical condition uh and so i did ask to have him sent back to the jail with mr markham we have received a report we received a report from dr anderton as to mr markham's competency i sent that to miss i'm just going to read this for a second but this is a different defendant who's uh um not feeling well reportedly and had to stay in jail so you see the uh, justice system at play here pat vanderwalt coming to us from south africa one of the other things um Mario Fernandez Saldana, uh, whose own attorney uh, previously, this looks like Saldana. What's going on here? I didn't think he was appearing today. Uh, let's see if this is him. Is this going to be? Looks like him. Department that's tracking this movement at this point, so I need to consult the technical board based on the fact that it's finished. I'll just see you all back next week. Okay? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't think we were expecting him. I did not know that he'd be here today, but that is him. This is Shanna Gardner's husband. Uh, I believe he's still her husband. Yep. And you said you sent the report this morning? Yes, Your Honor. It was sent to Ms. Wilk, I believe, like 8.50. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is Mario Fernandez Saldana, the husband, uh, shackled, wrists and feet. Good morning, Your Good morning, Your Honor. My name is Jesse Dreiser. I represent uh, Mr. Fernandez along with 
my law partner, Mr. Hill, who is present. Good morning, Your Honor. Patrick Cordy for Ms. Gardner and Mr. Baez is present on Zoom. And there's Shannon Gardner together. Yep. Good morning. All right, so I passed this um, to Mr. A status on the defense position sure. on the motion that was filed by Mr. Fernandez. So on Tuesday of next week, we have our first deposition of the Secret Service agent who has coordinated uh, a lot of this uh, discovery that is sort of in dispute. Um, and we have another deposition scheduled. The defense's position, uh, knowing that the court and everyone would like a quick turnaround on this, was to come back the week of the 22nd. Uh, to tell you that we're ready for you to assign us a neutral uh, and independent magistrate of some sort. Um, I hesitate to say, well, let's just do it the week of the 22nd because there, you know, a deposition could be canceled. We may learn that there's more discovery. As the court knows, there are so many issues that come up and may come up. Uh, and one we already are experiencing, which is we're having trouble accessing what the Secret Service has sent us, and our expert is even uh, has been provided it, and he's working on unzipping that file, and you know we're working as fast as possible to get this to a a point where the court can hear it. And did any depots occur in the month of January? Because I thought you all were gonna, <laughs> I thought you all were scheduled depots this entire month, and that's why I brought you back in February. No, ma'am. The first depot is on Tuesday. Um, This is, does the defense seek to um, depose anyone locally? Was it a 2 issue with getting the federal agents to comply? I, we did have to send 2 letters. Um, okay. it, there's a lot of lawyers. There's a lot of calendaring and schedule issues. Uh, the state gave us dates. They were very um, aggressive on making sure that they gave us time. The defense went through our calendars. I mean, I, I know that the court would have probably liked the depositions to be concluded, but I don't believe it's a lack of uh, our effort. I can tell you that. Okay. So on February 13th, you have one Secret Service agent scheduled. Yeah, and then another uh, agent who is intimately has knowledge of this particular issue is scheduled. Um, and another agent. I thought you were also going to take that to the company, this taint. On next week on the 13th. There's two witnesses. I have provided their two letters. There's no two issues. Witnesses are absolutely willing to come. Um, Secret Service agent ATF research analyst. And I have made names and addresses for next point personnel and expert witness available to defense. When the state says that there's no two issues, the court asked, did we have to provide two letters? Right. And yes, yeah. we did. They sent, Ms. Stifler sent us an email saying, you need to provide two letters. We had to draft, prepare two letters, get them to the state. And I made no indication that they weren't willing to come, but there was steps that had to be taken in order to get them to come. I understand. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what the process was. And then the next point person, that's also going to be done, or that's a different day? It's actually someone from the Secret Service and someone from ATF, and they're both from the 13th. Okay. We can't add, I mean, I've given them no, but these witnesses are all on standby at any point. They want to schedule a depot. We're willing to do that. That's good to know.
And is Ms. Gardner participating in these depositions? We are, Your Honor. And through the month of January, we were still being provided documents as to this very issue. And I, I think the court should know that as well. Okay. So just bottom line, you think that you would have some type of position the 22nd? I'm hopeful, yes, ma'am. All right, let me um, question Mr. Cody and Mr. Fias. Uh, where does it stand with Ms. Gardner? Your Honor, we're in a similar posture with respect to the motion to disqualify the state. We did file this week a bond motion, um, which we would like to, the court to hear. Uh, we spoke to the state about dates. We did propose the 27th and 28th of February. The state indicated that that was not agreeable to them. The state indicated they would like to resolve the disqualification issue before any bond motion was heard. Our position is that we need to hear the bond motion, that that is separate and distinct from the motion to disqualify the state. Um, and we'd ask the court to set a date for the bond motion so we can be heard on that motion and establish um, whether or not Ms. Gardner is entitled to a bond. We do. We have now reviewed the majority of the evidence or what we think we need to review to be in a position to file this motion. We do not believe that the state can meet the very high burden that's required to deny a bond for Ms. Gardner. And so our position again, judges, we would like to have that motion heard. And so you want the bond motion heard prior to the disqualification. Do you have any authority on that? Judge, I, ever been? I, I don't, and I did not know it was going to be an issue until this morning in speaking with the state, frankly, um, that that would be their position. But I will, I can research that if the court wants that researched. I do. Yes, Judge. I, I think it's important. If you are alleging that the state has information or has done something inappropriate um, to warrant um, an extreme remedy to get rid of their entire office. I think that I'm, I'm interested to see um, if that's ever been litigated before. Yes, Judge, I just make two points. Um, the first is, is that it's not Ms. Gardner's fault that there was this whole next point issue, right? And she's been now uh, held uh, since August. Um, and we had to do our due diligence before filing this motion so that we knew that it would be an appropriate motion to file before the court. So that's the first point. And the second point I would make to the court that if the court finds that she is entitled to a bond, even with this evidence that they may not have have it may not have been right that they had access to, then that bond would still stand and be appropriate. If the court found against us on the bond motion, but then disqualified the state, we would probably reviewing again the case, find that it would be appropriate for us to refile the motion before a new state attorney um, and get their position on it because the bond motion would have been completed with access to evidence they shouldn't have. My point is judge either way, if the motion is heard before the disqualification issue is resolved, there is zero prejudice to the state. 
Is there any thought by you that they would try to seek to present evidence that you're claiming that they didn't have access to in that hearing? Judge, I don't believe. That, that's what I'm trying yes. to avoid. Yes, Judge, I don't believe so. Okay. What's the state's position? The state's position is that it would greatly prejudice the state of Florida, the state of Florida, not necessarily myself or my office, but if they're going to have a bond hearing, the state of Florida is going to respond in kind with a motion for pretrial detention, both under the statute and under the Florida Constitution and state yard clerk. We're going to attach evidence to our response. We're going to call witnesses. We're going to present evidence to the court to prove her guilt by proof evidence presumption grade. If we do not have a disqualification motion prior to that, and in the event that the court does disqualify the fourth judicial circuit from the case after denying bond, they can renew that motion with the state of Florida and another prosecutor's office. We would then have to relitigate the issue, which is a burden on the state of Florida. It's a waste of judicial resources, and it greatly prejudices the state. My position is, and my position has been, the state of Florida has not accessed or has not uh, used, read, or otherwise um, plans to use any information which is privileged. That's our position, and that's what the hearing on disqualification is for. I believe we'll be successful in the disqualification motion, but I do believe that it would be greatly prejudicial to the state of Florida and the prosecution, whether it's our circuit or another, to have this bond hearing in the event that they can argue substantial change in circumstance and relitigate an entire bond motion in the future. I'm asking this court to set the hearing of disqualification in February after defense has done their depositions, after we've had the independent administrator review a document that Mr. Fernandez's counsel and I dispute is privileged. There is no such dispute as to Ms. Gardner. Their motion is limited to the state of Florida, potentially had access at some point to privileged communications which were never viewed or reviewed by anyone in law enforcement or the state. I want to have that hearing before this bond motion. Um, also, the state's going to file a written response. I'd like to do that sometime next week, give them notice as to what evidence we're going to present, what witnesses we're going to call. I'm not asking for a great delay. I think on the track that we're on, given any unforeseen delays, the state court, having provided all this information to defense, assisted them with their subpoena ducas tecums and their TUI letters, making these witnesses available. I'm hopeful we can have this hearing on disqualification late February, early March, I would ask us at the bond hearings mid or end of March. Ms. Gardner has been in custody since September. She did not waive extradition, so she was held longer in uh, the state of Washington until she got here. She's entitled to her hearing on their motion. I agree with that, but I don't think she's prejudiced in any way in a delay of one month. They filed a motion this week. The state of Florida should have the opportunity to file motions in response to prepare for the hearing. Safe are also should not be prejudiced for having disqualification hanging over our heads with statements by counsel that if the court denies bond, they're going to refile it and grant the disqualification motion. I think it makes the most sense, too. Can I? I thought you all told me, and I'm speaking to Mr. Curry, Mr. Bias, that you all were reserving um, the right to amend in the interim. Last time I saw y'all, you were in, we were in December, uh, we're now in February, indicated that whatever the cloud, what's it called? Next point. This, right, next point. Um, this was shut down for you all. Um, you all were going to conduct the discovery 
and you were going to amend potentially a motion that you were adopting based on what Mr. Fernandez, am I understanding that correctly? Judge, that is correct. We are still struggling, as is uh, Mr. Fernandez's defense, in opening the information that we received from the Secret Service. So that's one hurdle that we're facing. The second thing that is that we need those depositions completed to see um, what, how we're going to proceed with regard to the, this issue. Okay. Well, to me, just practically speaking, um, to avoid any, if you all, in a hearing like this, not necessarily that they have to put on everything. They have to put on a substantial amount to meet the burden that you alleged in your motion. Um, it's, practically speaking, to avoid any discovery violations or you're saying you didn't have it, they obviously can access it. You're saying you're having trouble with it. Um, I'm just going to... Just one clarification. What you're talking about, I do not have access to. That's the whole point of the state's position. They received the unredacted versions of the phone downloads. The state of Florida does not have possession of any of these. They got them directly from Secret Service. So I just want to be clear about that. Mr. Gardner, I had a miscommunication with this morning about that myself. So you don't have access to what you're no, saying? That, okay. That's the whole point. They wanted it from the original lead agent. The state of Florida does not, have, does not have access to these documents or files. I can't provide them to them or assist them in any way. To be very clear. They have had access to the very documents and emails and, and the things that we've alleged in our motion. Let's not be confused about that. What they don't have access to is the unredacted raw data that the Secret Service went through before the Secret Service turned over all of our privileged emails to the state of Florida, which were uploaded to NextPoint. So, uh, well, that's in dispute. Well, that's not in dispute. That, that, there is no dispute. Well, I'm not argue that. well, it's not. I mean, the emails that I sent my client, my client sent me, were uploaded to NextPoint by the state of Florida. That there's no dispute. Whether they looked at them or intend on using them may be in dispute. But there is absolutely no dispute as to them being in possession of them. So, and it's a it's a machinery issue. The this particular data the Secret Service uses. The agent told us you have to have special software, forensic software, to open it. So we hired an expert who we believe has that. He's working on doing that, uh, and hopefully we can have that done by Tuesday. If not, we may just, at the expense of what I'm told this software costs, we may just have to ask the questions, you know, what did you have, and, and see if we can do it that way. That's why there's some uncertainty as to how prepared we'll be come late February. But I, I'm, I think through... Good. Why not exercise 3.220 where you can have them open it up? And review it during the deposition. We, we, no, I mean, prior to, so that you know what questions you can ask them. Like, I think inspect outside of the deposition. Sure. If we were talking about inspecting photographs that a medical examiner had taken or something like that, that tool is readily used and available and, and, and useful. I suspect we're talking about thousands or hundreds of thousands of documents and images. So I, the practicality of doing something like that, hey, maybe we just go to your office and sit down with you. It, it just, in this particular case, I don't know that that's a, a feasible tool to use. All right. <clears throat> um, this is what I'd like to do. I'm gonna bring you all back. I'm sorry, we do have one other issue separate than okay. that. So, I, um, Mr. Fernandez, um, on December 13th, filed a motion to compel contact visitation. Uh, we're having some difficult 
tea with our uh, mitigation specialist, Dr. Brooke Butler. She's gone to the jail. Uh, we fought, we sent over a letter saying she can go to the jail. That worked once, then it didn't work. Then they said that the letter was dated the day before. Then the next time they said she couldn't have contact. Um, you mean his rooms just there open? Yeah. Not the class. Without us being there. I mean, the expense of having a lawyer sit there. She's sometimes there for an entire day or, or two at a time. So we're asking, and it's never been an issue. I wasn't there the first time. Uh, we introduced Mr. Fernandez and then we left her to do her job. So we're asking the court to issue an order uh, just allowing I have to give uh, the city the general counsel notice. Right. So if we could. So what I was going to do, when we handle that, you all, I'll bring you back on the 14th. You all let me know how the deposition went. Um, after the 13th, we'll handle it. I can give notice to the general counsel related to that issue. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe it won't be an issue and they'll just allow it. But I do know that they have, Stand. I can't issue an order. Okay, they'll just file a motion and. Um, I've run into that before, so I've right. I dressed so up. I need to get what Ms. Young's position would be on behalf of JSO. Um, I've had one other issue like that and we just were able to resolve it uh, talking it through. Okay. And there's some type of blitz as you got on that? Yes, ma'am. I think we've done everything we can from our side. Okay. So now the plan is to come back on the 14th. I don't see that motion you're referring to. Um, oh, no, I see it. Okay, so I'm not going to wait. All right. Um, we'll have a conversation about that. Maybe you'll let me know how the depositions go. Then hopefully we can schedule a hearing. And if you all would be prepared, both sides, if this has been litigated before, where there's a pending disqualification motion and also a bond motion um, that the defense wants to hear. Um, I don't want to resolve it necessarily practically, but there is some guidance out there, I like it. Um, so if you would do some research on that, okay? And I'll see you all back. Are you all available on the 14th? Yes, ma'am. I am not, uh, Your Honor. I currently have a, a trial schedule on that day. You did? Okay. But, um, what about I, the next day? I'm sorry. I can speak with Ms. Gardner and see if, if, if she's fine with uh, Mr. Karobi uh, appearing on my behalf. And I'm available on the 14th, Judge. You are? Yes. Sir. It's just, uh, Mr. Baez, if you would. If you're not available and Ms. Gardner agrees, if you would just communicate your schedule, it would just be, I wouldn't be having any type of substantive hearing. It would just be to schedule um, the hearing. I'm not doing anything other than giving an update um, on the discovery. I do need a position um, on Ms. Gardner about whether you intend to amend or if you're going to go with what you have, you believe that you need additional discovery in order to uh, adopt what Mr. Fernandez has filed, um, so that we're all we're all um, on notice of what the issues are. Okay. And Judge, I do I, I do believe we adopted their motion. We just indicated that we may supplement them. That's what I mean. Yes, Judge. I, I need to know. Um, I need to know from your perspective. 
what the information is, what your objections are, so that we all, when we have a hearing, it's a full hearing and you know decisions can be made. And the state's put on notice about what Ms. Gardner, I know I, I believe that they're sufficiently on notice based on the pleadings in Mr. Fernandez's case. I'm not exactly sure Ms. Uh, Stifler is indicating you know the position that you all laid out initially. I don't know if that is the full breadth and scope of your objection. Does that make sense? I, I think it makes perfect sense, Judge. And I think um, <clears throat> I, I, it's certainly not our intent to sandbag the, the state in, in, in at any hearing. So absolutely, I think it's important for them to know the issues as well as the court ahead of time. So that's something we will more than uh, we will do happily. Do you think there are any depots beyond the ones on the 13th? There may be. Okay. Well, I'll get your position. Um, I'm going to tentatively set up. I'm, the way that we're set up right now, I don't think you can have that conversation with Ms. Gardner about whether Mr. Craig, um, Mr. Craig, would you like to speak with her? Or just briefly, I'll set it on the 14th of Yes, Judge, I spoke, was able to speak with Ms. Gardner quickly, and, and she is okay with waiving Mr. Pius's presence at the next court date. Okay, so that's just going to be scheduling. I'm going to get an update, okay? February 14, 9 a.m. for pre-trial on both cases, okay? You all yes, thank, thank you, Your Honor. I'd be excused. Yes, thank you. And there they go. Uh, Shanna Gardner leaving in uh, street clothes. Her legs are shackled, though. Judge London Kite was just mentioning the Bridegan family who is there. That's the Bridegan family. There's True Lifestyles, our very own Susan Harmon. And I'm just going to mute. Mario Fernandez Saldana is there jeremy why is he still there do we know oh there he goes he's leaving they were just waiting for someone to escort him out right. uh, so that is uh the hearing there a uh, bunch of stuff to go over and jeremy's got some limited time so we'll go through this quickly i just took some notes so um i was not expecting this they were appearing together uh he was in a green jumpsuit mario fernandez saldana she was in a blue shirt and black pants. Um, once again, Jose Baez, who was not there but was on speaker, he, he wins that part of this little competition, right, Jeremy? I mean, there's no jury there, like you said, but still the optics for the media are that one's you know, a criminal, the other's in street clothes, isn't it? Right. She'll be on the, lo the local news tonight in street clothes. She'll be on court TV and the, and the uh, B-roll type footage, and, you know, she looks a little bit better. Not a not a significant win, but it is a little piece. And again, if you're that attorney, if you're trying to play at that level of being 
a top tier attorney, that's kind of the extra mile that you'll go through to uh, do that. And, and there's also a subtle idea there of, of showing a distance between your client and this really bad guy who's in jail clothes sitting there and they may be trying to create some daylight there. You know, I said before, I thought husband and wife, probably unlikely that they turn on each other. However, if you, if you look into delve into the background of the relationship, Miss Gardner said she only married Mr. Fernandez Soldano because he kind of pressured her. I'm going to be involved in your kids' lives, so we should get married. So how much affection does she have for him? Those are all things that I guess we'll see uh, over the next few months. Yeah, and from what I understand, uh, they are separated uh, now. Uh, I mean, figuratively and literally, they are separated. Uh, and they probably will not be together uh, for the foreseeable future. But uh, the big question that everybody had here, um, one of the issues was the deposition of a Secret Service agent. Um, why would the Secret Service be involved in this? Is this uh, in order to basically get into the forensic uh data related to the case, Jeremy, why are they involved? Uh, that's part of it in terms of just collecting the evidence, but they also served as sort of the, the protector of confidential material. So the Secret Service actually served as somebody independent from the state attorney's, other, state attorney's office and other law enforcement, because some of the evidence that was being collected in this case would be wiretap evidence, would be evidence potentially that would implicate the attorney-client privilege between Ms. Gardner and her lawyers and Mr. Fernandez Soldano and his attorneys. So if you gather evidence like that, that could be subject to privilege later, and the court will have to make a decision on whether it's usable, you can't just spread that information through the prosecution unit and because it's it would create a taint. Um, so if I gather this information, I have to keep it separate. I can't let my prosecutors look at it because that's why they've moved to disqualify the entire state attorney's office in Duval County off this case, because they say this information wasn't contained. You let the prosecution team and other people look at it. You can't unring the bell. You can't unsee something. So if the court deems this is not something the state should have and should not use, uh, according to this theory of the motion that the defense has filed, the entire prosecutors can't be involved. It's kind of like in Markell, if you if everybody remembers uh, the immunity, the use immunity that Wendy has in testifying, there's a big issue there whether uh, they could ever charge Wendy, because how do you separate what was learned in that testimony from the other evidence that's not tainted and affected and influenced by that evidence? That's why it's a little bit tricky, and it's tricky in this case. Other similarities with Markell in Markell, the defense at one point moved to disqualify Georgia Kaplan, if people remember that. And it's a, it was a similar type issue. And just the sheer volume of evidence is similar. You know, at one point, Georgia said she had eight CDs of discovery to turn over to the defense. In this case, it's probably going to be more. And that's part of the challenge in the modern day. You know, in the past, a murder for hire plot, maybe you have a note or a letter or you have phone records. Now you have thousands of emails and text messages and uh, different apps that you know you you need you need a teenager almost to tell you what apps are out there to keep up with them. You know that the parents are you know uh, they, the kids know more about what's out there than than we do. But all of that evidence, you get thousands and thousands of communications, 
and the and sort of the dragnet of all of that that they brought in in this case. Some of it may be admissible, some may not, and that's what's at issue with this. Um, I tend to think it's unlikely that the entire state attorney's office is going to be disqualified, um, but it's a tricky issue. They have to show that this evidence wasn't just, you know, put out on one drive and everybody could look at it. Um, True Lifestyles letting us know that she just talked to Kristen Bridegan, uh, the wife of Jared Bridegan, who uh, was tragically murdered. Um, and uh, she told her that she hopes justice keeps m- moving. She just left and um, they're not really allowed to speak about the case, but we will get her on the show uh, once this trial concludes or when she's able to speak. Yeah, Jeremy, that's a huge ask. I mean, the defense is basically asking for the entire uh, state's team to be dismissed from this case. Um, is that is that just more gamesmanship at this point than anything else? I think so. I, I think so. Unless they could really show something um, was disseminated within the office that got out uh, for um, consumption beyond the immediate prosecution team on this case. Um, but it's a tricky subject matter. When you're talking about emails between an attorney and a client, that's really heavy stuff. I mean, that's stuff that you can get bar complaints. You can get uh, really in a lot of trouble with that. And, and it's something that you really have to tread lightly on and be very careful with. But it sounds to me like the overall effort to prosecute these individuals, they assigned a team, a taint team, which was the Secret Service, to try to make sure that this was dealt with properly. So I think they'll be able to show it was properly maintained and they they handled it carefully. From what I understand, they created an entire sort of a, a containment system, a database, if you will, to put all this information in. And it took months for them to put this together. So I, I don't think they just put it on hard drives or just, you know, put it on some computer in the state attorney's office. And I think they, they did what they were supposed to do. Yeah, and the defense, I think, uh, was saying that there could be hundreds of thousands of documents or 100,000 documents at the very least. So uh, he said that their office is trying to work on that. Um, Jeremy, forgive me if I didn't understand this, but what happened with the whole issue of bond? Uh, Was that even covered or is that going to be covered at the next hearing? It's going to be covered in a a subsequent hearing. Um, And and, and part of it was if if the state attorneys are disqualified, you don't want to have to do the bond motion twice. You know, if, if they go ahead with the bond motion and then the state attorney's office is disqualified, and that was kind of the point the prosecutor made, then they'll bring this motion back again. We'll be doing it twice. So uh, they're going to wait on a ruling on the disqualification, it seems. And then uh, Jose Baez, who's reportedly getting paid something like a half a million dollars a month for this case, which is uh, quite the retainer. Uh, Jeremy Mutz. Uh, he wasn't even in court, but we heard him on speakerphone. What's he doing today that's more important than the $500,000 a month he's getting paid, Jeremy? You know, he may have another hearing <laughs> or something going on. I, it's hard to say. You know, when I practiced in Daytona Beach, people didn't even want to pay $850 for a divorce. So, uh, <laughs> you know, half a million dollars a month is is a pretty uh, pretty sporty fee. Um, you know, I, I think if I were getting a third of that, I'd probably want to be there, but maybe he has another court appearance he can't get out of. 
Yeah. And uh, True Lifestyles, once again, um, local news is waiting outside. First Coast News and Action News Jacksonville. I love these names. They're straight out of like, uh, you know, straight out of a movie. Um, But it goes to the point, Jeremy, this is going to be all over the local news. And again, people are going to see the the newly estranged husband in, you know, with his hair pulled back in that green prison or jail jumpsuit. And they're going to see Shanna Gardner in street clothes. How does that influence a potential future jury? Well, it certainly can in subtle ways, and it may be intentional to subtly uh, put distance between the innocent, attractive young woman versus this fellow that she described as a pit bull, you know, be watch out for him when you're interrogating him. He's a pit bull, um, things like that. And there's sometimes that factor, regardless that people can be sympathetic toward an attractive woman um, on trial and may have more sympathy for her. And that might be something that it, it seems a little craven, but her defense can exploit that and have her put her best foot forward and make the best appearance possible in the public. Because in a case like this, you're not only tried by the jury, you're sort of tried by public opinion. And there's all kind of little unspoken uh, mentalities that people have about women committing crimes. I mean, I, I worked for a, a state attorney, an elected state attorney that didn't really believe women could commit crimes that were serious crimes and almost put women on such a pedestal. Uh, of course, in reality, unfortunately, the, human nature is what it is. Men and women both can can plot horrendous things. Um, but there are some people that will be more sympathetic to women, put women up on a pedestal. Um, and, and in some ways, that's sort of a, a gentlemanly idea. Uh, but in terms of a case like this, then it, it leads a juror to not look at just the evidence, but they're being influenced by feelings of sympathy and, um, you know, some of the baggage that we all bring to the table in evaluating somebody. And they can certainly exploit that. And I mean, if I were defending her, I'd want her to uh, dress a certain way in front of the jury and I'd want her to come across a certain way in front of the jury. And I think that's you know pretty, pretty normal. By the way, uh, for your love and Jeremy's coming back tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, we're going to discuss Don Adelson, who she is returning to court next week. And uh, Jeremy will be our premier guest uh, on our panel tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern. Again, Donna Adelson and Dan Rashbaum head back to court. And we haven't gotten Jeremy's reaction to my interview with Dan Rashbaum, nor Donna's arrest yet. So we'll get that tomorrow night. The final thing here, and then we've got to let Jeremy go. Uh, they said another court date now, it appears like, ironically, on Valentine's Day, uh, February 14th. Um, again, Jose Baez came in on speakerphone. Judge London Kite told the defense that uh, I need your position on Shanna Gardner. Uh, she was saying that to Jose Baez. But what can we expect now on uh, Valentine's Day 2014, which is, believe it or not, next week? I think that's when they're going to argue this disqualification motion um and so we probably still won't have an issue we probably still won't have a decision on the bond motion then um you know and if, if be, you had a, if, if you had a guess um how far off do you think a trial is the way things are going uh right now it's a good chance it may not even be this year mm. and i think so just the a, yeah. amount of documents that you alluded to, the amount of communications that uh, 
uh, we're still just uh, we're still kind of not even to kickoff at this point. We're we're still arguing about whether the state can go forward on this case, uh, whether they have to be removed because they've seen something that they shouldn't have seen, and in, in that in that big collection of uh, communications. And this is where it, it could go beyond just wiretap evidence and uh, attorney-client privilege. It could, in fact, touch on the spousal privilege in this case, if it's emails and texts between Ms. Gardner and Mr. Fernandez uh, Soldano. So that that is interesting that that uh, almost rarely used provision in Florida of the spousal communication privilege would actually probably play a role in this case. From what, um, from what I see in the in the motion for disqualification, that that part of it is based on communications between the two spouses. Uh, Emily winds up saying that uh, Jose Baez has already stated he's not going to be ready until 2025. If I was him, I wouldn't be ready until 2029. If I'm getting paid a half a million bucks <laughs> a month, so uh, he's he's holding off. And then uh, got this here. Congrats to Millie Miles. You won the giveaway from the Best Trials Channel. Uh, we do have another channel, and uh, starting literally in one minute, we are going to be covering the Michelle Traconis trial out of Stamford, Connecticut. She is uh, on trial for conspiring to kill Jennifer Farber-Dulos. We've been covering that gavel to gavel. Huge thanks goes out to uh, Jeremy Mutz, who now has to go to his uh, day job, which is lawyering. So, uh, Jeremy... Look forward to seeing you tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Donna Adelson and Dan Rashbaum. And thank you for joining us. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, certainly some fascinating cases going on right now. 100%. Love you, America. Love you, North Florida. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.